The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This guy's a tremendous player. Um, Honestly, I think he's... You know, in a way, maybe underrated by by the media or the fans. I don't know, but I mean, I don't, I don't really see anybody better than this player. That's Bill Belichick talking about Russell Wilson, underrated. Under and you know what, he is underrated, and uh, I, I, he's he's. And yeah, and not if we all keep calling him underrated. I know Matt Casey, but he is—he still is underrated, even though we recognize it. He can't crack into that same conversation with Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson at times, and now Kyler Murray is in position to become the next big thing in the NFL. While Russell Wilson is just kind of there, saying, "Hey, everybody, remember me." But. Uh, Look, I think Bill Belichick understands what he's up against with Russell Wilson, and we saw it week one, the Seahawks letting Russell Wilson do his thing from the beginning of the game through the end of the game, and we saw how uh, how effective he can be. And now the, the renewal of what felt like it potentially was going to be the answer to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, the Cam Newton-Russell Wilson rivalry, because there was a stretch there. They were meeting in the postseason every year, the Seahawks and the Panthers. Well, now... Newton's got a new team. They're only going to play as long as they stay where they are once every four years. But what a meeting. Second game in Newton's career as a Patriot to have that Patriots-Seahawks game, Cam Newton and Russell Wilson together again. Which of those two guys, Peter, needs to have the bigger game for his team to prevail? Cam Newton. Um, Because I think, Mike, you know, when I look at that game the other day, I think this is a classic scheme game and just say you know we talked in the first hour about how Belichick thinks every game plan is a snowflake in my opinion watching the Patriots against Miami that was the classic every game plan is a snowflake because look you do not want to run Cam Newton 15 times a game you you might have to to win 
but you don't want to do it because it's clear that he broke down when he was getting beat up as much as he was both in the pocket and in the running game in Carolina. So I guess I look at this and I say, and, and Mike, I'll ask you this question. Okay, didn't you think that that was one of the oddest 100 passer rating games, 100 plus passer rating games by a quarterback you ever saw? Cam Newton, he throws the ball 19 times. He doesn't throw a touchdown pass. He, and obviously he doesn't throw an interception. That's what rating is so much about. But he throws it 19 times. He doesn't throw a touchdown pass. And, you know, he doesn't have an explosive day. And still, it's a 100 passer rating day. And, and it's just, and I'm not saying passer rating is, is an important stat, but I just thought that the way the Patriots game plan this game was the perfect game for the 2020 Patriots. I'm not sure that it's the perfect game for a five-year run of Cam Newton, but for the Patriots to win this year, that's the kind of game I think they have to call. And passer rating really is an amazing stat. The four major pillars are completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown percentage, and interception percentage. And he had a high completion percentage, and he had pretty good yards per attempt because when he threw, it was a guy who was wide open. There were a lot of underneath routes where he could get an easy 8, 9, 10 yards. But so much of what they were doing was the running game. And Bill Belichick on Monday, we talked about this yesterday, Peter, Chris Sims and I. Bill Belichick on Monday created the impression that Cam Newton had 15 runs because they were all option plays and he just opted to run. And that's just not true. Seven designed runs, six runs out of an option look. There were 13 total option opportunities. Six of the times he kept it, seven of the times he handed it off. But it works. And if the Seahawks decide to crowd the line and take away both sides of that option, so there's somebody there if Newton keeps it and somebody there if he hands it off, that's when he does play action and he's going to have guys open down the field and that's when those passing numbers could be even better. Theoretically, he'll have guys open downfield, um, but we'll see if they do. We'll see if Enkeel Harry can come back from – uh, you know, a bad day, uh, at least one really bad play. Um, but that's the biggest question about the New England Patriots. If somebody crowds the line and takes away uh, not only the running backs running, but the quarterback running, if they do that, can the Patriots win downfield? I have my doubts. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I wonder now, now look, I, I saw in real time as we're watching nine games at once, just a couple of the Cam Newton runs. And I thought they were, you know, he was in harm's way. And as it turns out, for the most part, they've, they've found a way to keep him clean while he runs the ball. And he's smart about avoiding contact. But the Seahawks defense may be bringing it a little bit more aggressively than the Dolphins were week one. It's going to be a great matchup. Now with Russell Wilson, you know, Peter, uh, the, the head coach, Pete Carroll, said this week they, they still are intent on running the ball, and maybe they want to run the ball even more this week. What do you expect to see from Wilson? What we saw in week one, or is this going to be more of the classic Seahawks ground-and-pound approach? It, he, here, here's the thing with, you know, with Russell Wilson. You know, he can play it any way that you want him to play. You know, if Pete Carroll says it's a heavy day for you throwing the ball, he's going to throw the ball a lot or if Brian Schottenheimer says it. Uh, 
And if they let him get out on the edge a little bit more, you know, then he'll do that too. But I really think in this particular game, this is going to be a game where the Seahawks are going to challenge the Patriots down the field. And I think this is a game that they want to get uh, uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf downfield to challenge uh, the Patriots secondary. And again, the Patriots have an excellent secondary. Might be the best in football. But I'm saying that I think this week, the uh, because I think the Patriots are, are stout up front, I think they're going to say, we want to try to do everything we can to lengthen uh, this defense and to make sure that they are not cheating up into the box to try to stop Wilson and Carson running the ball. Yeah, when I spoke to Russell Wilson after Sunday's game, Mr. Unlimited, a.k.a. Mr. Underrated, went on and on about how underrated and underappreciated DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are on a national stage. And he thinks Metcalf is on the verge of becoming one of the best receivers in the NFL. And this is the great test for it because the Patriots have the great secondary. And if Russell Wilson can get the ball to those guys, if they can get open consistently against that secondary, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, they have something with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I wonder how, I, I don't know how much having Philip Dorsett in the fold is going to help them kind of crack the code on the New England defense. They, they just, they play tough, they play hard, they scheme. And uh, especially in the secondary, and as Chris Sims has been saying all week, this is a defense that uses the secondary to boost the front seven, not the front seven to boost the secondary. And so it's going to be a challenge for Russell Wilson to get the ball down the field. And it may be that they need to run the ball effectively to get that secondary to pinch a little bit closer to the line and then take their shots to try to stretch the field over the top, Peter. Yeah, the one, the one other thing about this game that I think is kind of an interesting factor you know, in the game is that, look, the Patriots know that over a long period of time, you know, they have to develop an alternative to Julian Edelman. And I know that, and Keel Harry is coming off a tough week and a tough day, but I'm telling you, I think the Patriots are going to continue to try to feed him the ball and to continue to try to develop him as a threat. They have to have another threat. They can't play another season where Julian Edelman's got to catch 100 balls or else, you know, their receiving core is horrible. We already know that last year, PFF had the Patriots as the worst receiving core uh, tight end wide receivers in the NFL. And so this is something that has got to be in Bill Belichick's mind. Okay, we are not going deep into this into January and February unless we develop our passing game. And so I, I look for them this week. I think Ankeel Harry's going to get a bunch of chances uh, to try to prove himself. It really is an amazing blind spot in the Bill Belichick Patriot resume. 20 years as head coach of that team. And you can list the great receivers he's had on one hand, Peter. It, and, and they just swing and they miss. And just like last year, give up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu, who got cut in preseason. And other than Randy Moss, who kind of fell into their laps, and Julian Edelman, who fell down to round seven in the draft, and Wes Welker, that's really their best. Wes Welker, making that play for Wes Welker when he was a restricted free agent in Miami, that's like the – and Deion Branch, too. But that's it. That's yeah. four. Am I missing somebody? 
Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, and Dion Branch. Am I missing anyone else that, who's been a great receiver for the Patriots over uh, the last 20 years? Does well, Troy Brown I mean, count? I, you know, no. Be, well, I mean, he was a he was a good player, a valuable player, um, but he, he's obviously not a huge difference maker in the receiving game over a long period of time. The, the whole point about this is, Mike, you know, Randy Moss was a meteor across the sky. You know, he, it's not like he lasted for even five years. He, he didn't. So I, I guess my point is that I, I think you're, you're definitely barking up the right tree here that, you know, imagine if Bill Belichick knew uh, the receiver position, you know, and, and what makes a great pro as a receiver, the way he knew, say, the linebacker position. And it's almost like, look, why did I pick Josh Uche? It's looking like it's not a great pick now. But why did I pick Josh Uche to be the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL? Duh. Because Bill Belichick drafted him in the second round. He's a linebacker. The Patriots have got to replace four starting linebackers, including one of the best ones in football in Dante Hightower. Ergo... You know, here we go. But at the receiver position, I think every time they pick one, I start to think, well, let's see. What's this guy's flaw going to be? Because over the years, <laughs> you know, from Rache Caldwell on, you know, every time they pick a guy high, just doesn't work out. The Patriots and the Seahawks get together on NBC Sunday Night Football, one of the late afternoon games, the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Houston Texans. Last year, the Ravens blew the Texans off the field. Here's John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens, talking about quarterback Deshaun Watson and one of the attributes that tends to keep a play alive longer than maybe a defense can handle it. He actually, you know, holds the ball longer than anybody in the league. He's I think their offensive line does a good job. The scheme is part of that, but it's really mainly him, and he does it to create opportunities for the pass game. And that's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the criticisms, I think, of Deshaun Watson last year and maybe one of the reasons why they moved on from DeAndre Hopkins, at times he's holding on to the ball until Hopkins gets open. And Chris has said in the past that, that Deshaun Watson treats too many plays like it's the last play of the Super Bowl, and he's back there running around and running around and trying to wait for something to get open, and that's how you potentially get hit, get hurt, uh, or or just you know the play eventually falls apart. But uh, he does hold on to the ball a long time. I think they're trying to get him away from that a little bit with this diversification of the offense where, in theory, somebody's going to be open a lot earlier than maybe the amount of time it took for Hopkins to get open. But uh, it's, it does put pressure on a defense if they have to continue to cover the receivers a lot longer than they have to cover receivers on other teams, Peter. Didn't you think you heard this week out of the Texans some real angst about the uh, the the improper usage of David Johnson in the first game. They really think they caught uh, a huge break in the Arizona Cardinals giving up on David Johnson, even though we can argue all day about what a dumb trade it was, okay? And I'm going to be holding a pom-pom for what a dumb trade it was. But that isn't the issue. The issue is that's over. Now you have David Johnson. And to me, the one thing I saw, especially early in that Thursday night game at Kansas City, 
I saw David Johnson looking like the 2016 David Johnson, you know, and, and, you know, turning back the clock a little bit. And I really think that what they want to try to do, particularly this week, where they might come up against a brick wall, you know, Calais Campbell is, is a great run player and they traditionally have been a very good run defense team. But this week, I think you're going to see David Johnson break away, get on the edge a little bit, and become more of a factor than he was in the passing game in week one. Because I think that the Ravens are going to send the house and really try to, uh, you know, pester Deshaun Watson. I think this is a week where you're going to see the wraps taken off of David Johnson. And and look, it, 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 it may say more about the Browns running game than the Ravens defense, but the Browns running game was gashing Baltimore on Sunday. So maybe we'll see David Johnson, but you're right. He, he, all of a sudden he's the guy that he was before the injury, before he landed on an offense where he really didn't fit. And we'd forgotten about David Johnson. And it was a bizarre kind of a trade to take on his $10 million salary. I thought the Texans were making a mistake to kind of welcome him in when there's so many great young running backs out there in the draft in any round of the draft or not drafted at all. Like James Robinson, the guy that the Jaguars picked up from Illinois state, who's their starting tailback this year. And they won a game with the undrafted running back from Illinois state as a starting tailback. But uh, between Lamar Jackson, the defending MVP who looked great last week and, and Deshaun Watson, which of those two needs to have the bigger game for the team to win? Uh, I think uh, to me anyway, I think that, Deshaun Watson has to uh, play bigger in this game for his team to win. And Mike, he's capable of doing it. And I think, you know, you talked earlier about how much he hangs on to the ball and he, and he holds it, like Chris says, way too long. But I think that is a function. Even though everybody is thinking, boy, they fixed their offensive line, Laramie Tunsil and all that. I mean, their offensive line is still, it's good but it's not a premier offensive line. So he's going to have to run around back there and make plays for them to have a good chance. But I really think he's going he's gonna to use uh, uh, David Johnson a little bit more than he used him in the first game, and I think he should. And it may need to be a shootout for the Texans to have a chance. The Texans' defense was not great against the Chiefs week one. I still don't know who the Texans pissed off in the league office to end up getting the Chiefs and the Ravens right out of the gates. But the good news is the schedule <laughs> only gets softer after facing the Chiefs and Ravens week one and or the Chiefs and yeah, the Chiefs and Ravens week one and week two. All right. One more game to discuss involving a couple of not necessarily great quarterbacks, guys who have great quarterback contracts, guys who have played great in the past. And for Carson Wentz, it was great last year, late in the season when he had no weapons. Last week, though, it was questionable. He got sacked eight times. Jared Goff, the first pick in 2016. Carson Wentz, the first, the second pick in 2016. Those two teams get together in Philadelphia. The Rams are a slight favorite. Which of those two guys needs to have the bigger game for his team to prevail? Carson Wentz. Um, because I think, Mike, you know, the one thing that was so obvious in week one is that if you if you were to look at a position group that really, really was vulnerable in week one, it was the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. And now look at the resources uh, 
that they are going to have to devote because you've got the best individual player in football coming in, you know, to play you this week. And when you have to prepare for Aaron Donald coming off an eight sack game, you know, regardless of, of how healthy or unhealthy Lane Johnson is, to me, I don't know how that you cannot put two guys on Aaron Donald every time he comes off the ball. So that creates a gigantic issue. And that means that your quarterback, there's so much pressure on him to make plays, you know, when plays break down. And so that to me is the biggest reason why I look at this game and I said, Carson Wentz must be better than he was at Washington in week one for them to have a good chance to win this game. You know, Jared Goff has kind of settled into this this uh, reality of his career where he's going to be good, not great. Good, not More often than not, good, not great. Every once in a while he's going to make a throw that makes you say, wow, but it's not all the time. And every once in a while he's going to make a mistake, but not all the time. It's just going to be kind of right down the middle of the road and you rely upon an offensive genius like Sean McVay to put the pieces around you, call the right play at the right time to keep the offense moving. But Wentz, I feel like you're right, needs to do more, especially with that offensive line, to get away from Aaron Donald and then to hope that the guy that you're looking to throw the ball to isn't being blanketed by Jalen Ramsey. I mean, that's the challenge when you're facing the Rams is how to solve that defense. And with that offensive line in shambles and after eight sacks last week, and Carson Wentz has that that history of getting banged up, uh, I'd be concerned about it this week if I'm an Eagles fan that, uh, you know, Wentz has managed – to be healthy wire-to-wire wire in the 2019 season. He had that concussion in the playoff game that doomed the Eagles. But uh, I, I think we're back at that point after seeing all the hits he took week one where we got to worry about Carson Wentz. He's got to find a way to protect himself a little bit better. I don't think he ever will. I think he embraces it. And uh, if he gets injured, then so be it. And then you get healthy and you come back. But I think they need him to step up. Or they fall to 0-2. Now, look, it's not panic time yet because the Giants lost last week, the Cowboys lost last week, and and I feel like the Eagles are more comfortable when they dig themselves a hole that they can climb out of because they've done that each of the last two years. But you, you, you don't want to start off 0-2, uh, not in a season that had a decent amount of expectations, Peter, because they won the division last year. Yeah, and they're, they're fortunate because, I mean, they ought to be able to have a game in week three that they can win. But Mike, can I, I'm gonna go in a little different direction here because I definitely, I had this on my list of things that I wanted to talk about today. And since we're on the Rams, how many more guys can they pay? <laughs> I mean, you know, I read the Robert Woods story. They're negotiating with Cooper Cup. I mean, do they have a $470, $470 million salary cap? when everybody else has 198 and and again I realize I think I think this is a very smart organization I like the way this organization is run this is the team that took the chance on Sean McVay when everybody said are you out of your mind and it's you know paid off double sevens in Vegas or whatever whatever the gambling thing is but <laughs> what I look at when I look at the Rams is at some point you can't pay everybody. And I really wonder what they're going to be like when John Doe superstar emerges 
two years from now, but it's going to be really hard to pay him. And most of the big contracts they've given out, they end up regretting. Todd Gurley, gone. Brandon Cooks, gone. The only contract they've given out, and they had to they had to be backed into a corner before they did it. Aaron Donald held out of two straight training camps in preseasons before they finally paid him. That's the only one that's paying the true dollar-for-dollar dollar dividend. They've paid Jared Goff too much. Uh, with Jalen Ramsey, who knows? But, you know, what it does, Peter, it puts you in a position where you don't have money for your middle class of players. You don't have a backup that you can pay $3 million, $4 million to. You've got to rely on a low-level rookie, an undrafted free agent. So if you have an injury, you better hope that guy comes in and doesn't become the weak link to your defense or your offense. That's what happens when you pay that many guys. And it also makes it easier to pay guys when you stiff guys like Gurley and Matthews after they've been cut, which is kind of a strange dynamic for the Rams, but they have a method to it. They don't have to settle up until after the season, especially with Matthews. They're waiting to see if he lands somewhere else. But uh, they have been spending, and you know they're, they're willing to go all in. They're willing to make the big splash. They're willing to give up draft assets for veteran players. And that makes it even more expensive, Peter. When you give up two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick, those are guys that you're going to have if you keep those picks under reasonable contracts for an extended period of time. And with Jalen Ramsey, until they did the extension, there was no guarantee they were going to have him for more than a season and a half. So you're right. They aren't afraid to spend. But where's that that young, you know, if, if you're trading picks and if you're spending so much money on a handful of guys, where's that middle class? Where's that young nucleus that's going to grow with you. And and if you develop these other good players, you've got to pay them because you paid everybody else. But I think they're not going to be bashful about cutting guys loose like they did with Clay Matthews, like they did with Todd Gurley, and like they did when they traded Brandon Cooks. Yeah, and plus, you have to make sure that you count on, uh, you know, it's sort of like in the Garoppolo contract, all right? If the 49ers were to, for whatever reason get rid of them after this year, it wouldn't absolutely hamstring the franchise. So you have to write contracts knowing that you have the escape hatch in there. And, and again, I don't study contracts the way I used to, but I just know that, you know, when you pay a lot of veteran players, okay, and you don't have a lot of high draft choices, I mean, Les Snead and his scouts are under tremendous pressure to make really good value picks in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds because those picks now for them are like first, second, and third rounders for other teams. So if you need, let's say, a corner, you know, you've got to hope that the traits in the ninth corner on your board, you know, are going to be, uh, you know, are going to show up, you know, like the a really good corner would show up in a, in the first round for somebody and it's very hard to find CJ Henderson with the 79th pick in the draft. Yeah, the uh, uh the escape hatch for Jared Goff is not coming anytime soon. If they were to trade him after this season, they're looking at 22.2 million in uh in dead money charges, which isn't as significant as it used to be, but He's got guarantees that last for a few more years. They're all in with him at least through 2022. And uh, they just got to make it work and see what happens. And again, he's good, not great. And that was my takeaway from week one. Good, not great. And good enough to win with, 
but not great enough to win on his own if the game plan drawn up by Sean McVay doesn't work. All right, let's take a break. We mentioned that the Eagles are trying to avoid falling to 0-2. Other teams facing that desperation, avoiding that 0-2 start that makes week three even more stressful. We'll look at the teams trying to stay out of that 0-2 hole when PFT Live continues right after this. Every weekday on Peacock, we've got you covered with Sports Talk, beginning with PFT Live, 7 a.m. Eastern. Dan Patrick, after that at 9 a.m. Eastern, the Rich Eisen Show, noon to 3 Eastern. Brother from another 3 to 5, PFT PM, wraps up the day on Peacock. All shows available on demand. And we run plenty of clips of PFT Live and PFT PM at ProFootballTalk.com. All right, some teams 0-1. Hey, Mike, 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 yes, Mike. Yes, Peter. Mike. Yes. I love that. I love that music. What is that music? The music that you play with that with that bumper. I I, can't I love tell that you music. They're, they're they're not feeding the music through to me. There it is. I don't hear it. Oh, you don't hear I like it? it? I don't hear it. Matt Casey, what is that music? It's kind of new age rock. A little new it's age. It's real rock. groovy. Whatever, whatever it is, yeah. it doesn't cost us anything. <laughs> the price is right. For the music that we use. <laughs> That's right. the key thing. <laughs> That's right. Let's let's put up the graphic. One and only. Who's it by? One. One. <laughs> again, it's free. Free play. All right, I'll shut uh, up it's now. It's just the name they pulled out of the hat. So let's put up the graphic of the 0-1 team squaring off. Half the league is 0-1, and four of the games on Sunday feature 0-1 teams battling it out. Let's start with Falcons-Cowboys. Who's going to be more desperate in this game between the 0-1 Falcons, who got shredded defensively? Their offense looked pretty damn good. Matt Ryan had 450 passing yards. Cowboys plotting offense on the final drive of the game. They just wasted the time they had. They never got in position to even have a chance to get in field goal range. The offensive pass interference call against Michael Gallup didn't help. But who's more desperate to win this one to avoid going to 0-2, Peter? Cowboys, look, the, the Falcons spent about 10 weeks last year desperate. So, and what good did it do them? You know, starting whatever it was, one and seven. So I, they were desperate a whole bunch of weeks in a row. In my opinion, Mike McCarthy, this is one of the games when you look at the schedule that the Dallas Cowboys, uh, it, 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 I, I wouldn't say, hey, they really should win. I would say they have to win. Because they don't have, I mean, they don't have the hardest schedule in the league, but this is one of those games that you've got to win. And it's one of those games your offense has to get healthy. And I guess I look at it and say, you have got to get an advantage on this secondary. Because to me, the Atlanta secondary is where Dak Prescott, uh, C.D. Lamb and these guys, they have got to make hay because this is not a great secondary. They're rebuilding their cornerback core. And this is a game that Mike McCarthy has got to pull out some of his, uh, some of his, a, some of his tricks that he and, and Jim Hazlitt and his crew studied in Green Bay for a year. I'll say this. As it relates to potentially winning the division, I think the Falcons need this one more than the Cowboys because there's a good chance Washington's going to be one and one 
after this weekend. There's a good chance the Giants are going to be 0-2. Good chance the Eagles are going to be 0-2 at best, 1-1, obviously. The Cowboys don't begin to fall out of the race if they lose. If the Falcons lose, the Saints are most likely going to be 2-0. That's when you start to fade away too early in the season. Now, as it relates to this funky new wild card chase, I'd say the Cowboys are a little more desperate because that seventh spot, Peter, is going to be huge. You don't want to go down in the tiebreaker with the Falcons in the event that the Cowboys are jockeying for position for those final three spots. But as it relates to winning a division, I think the Falcons need this one more. But uh, from the just the overall meeting your expectations for the season, the Cowboys start 0-2. Yet again, they look great on paper, and then we start playing the games, and they don't live up to it. All right, the Vikings and the Colts meeting in Indianapolis. Both teams 0-1. A lot of people thought the Colts would be a Super Bowl contender coming out of the AFC. The Vikings, I thought, would win the division. I don't think that after seeing what Aaron Rodgers did to them. Who is more desperate to get that win and avoid falling to 0-2? Indianapolis, uh, because there's already coming out of this game. Look, no matter what happens in this game, uh, no one is going to say, put uh, put Kirk Cousins on the bench. It's not going to happen. But if Phillip Rivers throws three passes to the Vikings, there's going to be a lot of people in Indianapolis who say, hey, Phillip Rivers is what, what he thought we was, is what we thought he was, and give us Brissett. Because in some, in some cities, the most popular guy is the backup quarterback. And right now, I think Phillip Rivers has to come out and give the kind of performance that Phillip Rivers on a given Sunday can give. 320 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. He needs that performance to show the city of Indianapolis, to show his teammates there's a reason that Chris Ballard paid $25 million to get me. And this is a fascinating dilemma for the Colts because Jacoby Brissett's making $15 million a year. He's in the last year of his contract. They did that Band-Aid last year to settle it down when they thought he was the guy, and he was the guy until he wasn't the guy anymore. But would the Colts pivot quickly away from Phillip Rivers when they've made that $25 million investment? I remember when Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady – all did the same deal, basically, one year for $25 million, although there are some variations in the contracts. They're all getting $25 million this year. I said Phillip Rivers should be wearing a ski mask. He does not fit with the Drew Brees, Tom Brady, $25 million a year. And if the Colts uh, struggle out of the gates, will they, will they factor in the investment in Phillip Rivers to justify giving him another chance. And, you know, the best way to approach football is if you made a mistake, don't double down, admit the mistake, and move on. And, yeah, the Vikings don't have to worry about Kirk Cousins getting benched because plan B is Sean Mannion. That's not happening. But when you got Jacoby Brissett making $15 million and you know what he did last year, he took the team to a 5-2 and record before he got the knee injury and was never the same after that. Peter, I agree with you. At some point, sooner rather than later, you're going to have people clamoring for Brissett to be under center if the Colts just can't win games with Phillip Rivers? It's not two weeks. It's five weeks. It's, you know, Frank Reich is not going to, uh, I mean, unless it's an absolute abject disaster, they're not going to think about that yet. They're going to give Phillip Rivers a real legitimate chance um, to pilot this team to the playoffs. And if five or eight games in, it's not happening, 
and they're you know they're three under five hundred or whatever, then I could see them pulling the plug. But it's way way too early to think about that. These two teams got well, not these two teams. This quarterback faced the Vikings in December when he was with the Chargers, and he threw three interceptions. Now that was a Chargers home game which meant it was a Vikings road home game overtaken by Vikings fans. So uh, different circumstances now and different defense for the Vikings. The pass rush, not nearly as potent with Daniil Hunter injured, Everson Griffin gone, Yannick Ngakwe nicked up in the first game and really wasn't able to contribute. The defensive backs, a bunch of young guys where Mike Zimmer is rolling the dice. So the opportunities should be there for Phillip Rivers in the passing game. He should be able to navigate it without throwing in interceptions. If he does, though, Peter, you know, whether it's week five, week two, week three, week whenever, it's not going to be too early to come to the conclusion that that Phillip Rivers uh, may be stuck around one year too long, that it's just not there for him anymore. And the two interceptions against Jacksonville were very, very concerning. We'll see what he can do against the Vikings. But, you know, I agree with you. The Colts are uh, a little more desperate. And I think from the Vikings standpoint, you know, I look, I, I don't say you can see the division title based on one game, but when the Packers come in and kick the crap out of you the way they did, and then you have to go play at Lambeau field later in the year for what could be their first game of the season with fans present, you're going to get swept by the Packers most likely. And if you get swept by the Packers, your chances of winning the division are remote at this point. This is about maybe the Vikings trying to get a wild card. So I think the Colts who were right in the thick of things in the AFC South and expected to win the division they can't afford to go to 0-2. All right, some other 0-1 teams squaring off against each other. The Bears hosting the Giants. The Bears – oh, no, they're not 0-1. This is, this is different. This is an 0-1 team that has a chance of pulling an upset. Sorry, the Bears won last week, even though it felt like they were going to lose. The Giants at 0-1 and the Lions at 0-1, they're taking on the Packers in Green Bay. The Giants taking on the Bears at Soldier Field. Which of those two teams, Giants, Lions, have a better chance of pulling the upset? Giants. Um, these are not your Pat Shermer Giants. Um, I thought I thought the Giants were really an impressive group for about three quarters. And one of the reasons I really liked what I saw is that this is not a team that has to rely on Saquon Barkley to be great uh, to win a game. Uh, they were competitive with a playoff team for three quarters and without that silly play by Daniel Jones, uh, you know, and the great play by, by Bud Dupree, the 19th play in that drive, without that, who knows what would have happened. And to me, I think the Giants have a good chance to go into Chicago and play well. Because look, even though, you know, Mitchell Trubisky's fourth quarter in Detroit was the best quarter, all things considered, of his professional life, um, are, are we convinced that that's going to carry over? I'm not. I mean, it was a great story. I wrote about it in my column Monday. I talked to him. I, I'm, you've actually got to be happy for the guy because, my God, who's been more of a punching bag in the NFL for the last three years than Trubisky? But, you know, I'm not sure that they have their quarterback situation solved. We'll see. It's going to be up to him, and he's going to have every chance to do it. But to me, I trust Daniel Jones more in this game than I trust Trubisky. And I agree with you. The Giants have the better chance to pull the upset. The one thing that favors Trubisky in this game, they have been so ambivalent at best about Trubisky in Chicago. There's got to be a certain freedom for him 
to play a home game with no fans there and not have to worry about whatever <laughs> grumbles, murmurs, yeah. cat calls. He can just go out and play football. And, you know, we've always heard how good Trubisky is in practice. It just doesn't translate to games. Well, this is going to feel like a practice. It's going to feel like a joint practice at Soldier Field with no one there to watch it, and maybe Trubisky can replicate it. Although I was impressed by what the Giants did on Monday night. Even when they're down 26-10, it was a close game. That long drive that ended in the Daniel Jones interception when he was hit by Bud Dupree and Cam Hayward picked it off, that was the turning point of the game. The Giants kept it close. The Giants made the Steelers nervous, along with anyone who had the Steelers given six points. And Daniel Jones is looking the part. It's good that he didn't fumble the ball. He's learning to get rid of it. He should have gotten rid of it a little earlier, though, when he got hit by Bud Dupree. But I like the growth I've seen from Daniel Jones, and I think the Giants have a good chance of pulling the upset. And meanwhile, Peter, I think the Lions are – I mean, this is the worst possible draw they could have a week after blowing a 17-point lead to have to go to Lambeau Field and play Aaron Rodgers coming off one of the best games of his career. I just don't know that one week is enough to press the reset button after you blow that 17-point lead and lose to the to the Bears at home. I, I agree, Mike. I, You know, of all the players, there's so many players who you could pick out uh, in week one where you say, my gosh, this guy was really impressive. I, I think Aaron Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams, too, they were so impressive. And, and it's almost like, you know, Aaron Rodgers is saying, okay, so you want to draft my replacement? Okay, I'll show you. And, you know, to some degree, in some ways, Mike, I honestly think that Brian Gutekunst watching that game the other day said, well, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Jordan Love turns into Jimmy Garoppolo and we'll have to trade him. But if we do, I'll tell you what, we're going to have the best quarterback in football because that's how he played today. So, uh, you know, I thought it was a it's a fascinating chemistry experiment in Green Bay to see how far a quarterback with one receiver and a bunch of guys can take you. And uh, in the first game of the year, scoring in the 40s on the road in your first game is really, really impressive for for the Packers. Real quickly on the way out, because we got to take a break, better chance of being a surprise 2-0 team. Washington winning at Arizona or the Jaguars winning at Tennessee? Washington. Because I think Washington's front can frustrate any team. And and again, look, I expect Kyler Murray to be running a lot in this game because he's going to have to. But I just can't see Jacksonville going to Tennessee and beating a stout defensive front uh, like Tennessee's. Yeah, as long as the Titans make a few more kicks, it should be fine. Let's hope that for the Titans' sake, they don't have another game where they are clearly the better team, but they have to get a late drive to get a field goal to win the game. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, a show-me-something draft. Who do we want to see step up and get it done in Week 2? We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, 
the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Last night, Game 6, Tampa Bay Lightning, New York Islanders. Overtime, will the Islanders force a Game 7 or will the Lightning advance to the Stanley Cup Final? The suspense is killing me. You know the answer. And the Lightning (laughs) killed the Islanders. It's over. Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. Anthony Sorelli with the game winner. There's the handshakes. And there's the Prince of Wales trophy. They touched the trophy. Oh, no. Don't touch the trophy! You don't touch the trophy! Sometimes they touch the trophy and they still win the Stanley Cup. (laughs) All right, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. The Stanley Cup final begins. No, it's not Memorial Day weekend. It's late September. It is so weird to see this happening, but the good news is it's happening. Dallas and Tampa Bay. All right, here's what's happening this weekend, week two. We're already at week two. We're going to be saying we're already at week 12 before you know it, but at week two... Show me something draft time. I see that I'm supposed to ask you a trivia question, but I don't see a trivia question in there. I have a feeling there is no trivia question. So, Peter, because I am always very, very uh, hospitable to uh, my co-hosts, I'm going to let you have the first pick in today's show me something draft for week two. All right, here's who I want to see something from. Here's who's got to show me something in week two, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, look, you might say, well, gee, that's kind of unfair. His three biggest weapons, all of them are either not going to play or will be hobbled. George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. So is it really fair? And the answer is yes, it is fair. Because (laughs) you're playing at the New York football Jets, okay? And you're not only playing at the Jets, who you should beat regardless, but... This is a case where if you're a great quarterback in the NFL, you are going to have Sundays when your team is depleted around you and you have to win the game. So Jimmy Garoppolo, this is your life. Sunday at the Jets. I want to see something from you. Yeah, look, I agree with that. The injuries around a quarterback aren't an excuse when you're one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the game. Now, he's not one of the highest paid anymore. He's been leapfrogged multiple times over. But when he got his contract, $27.5 million a year was the highest paid quarterback in all of football. So you're expected to go out there and make it work with what you have. We've seen other great quarterbacks make it work with what they have. And they still have a running game that is potent. Jordan Reed was, was more than competent last week in the passing game. Uh, so I, I think it's fair to expect Jimmy Garoppolo to play better. Deliver the pass accurately. If the guy drops it, it's on him. But there were a lot of occasions last week where Garoppolo wasn't accurate. He threw the hospital ball that got George Kittle injured, a, a wildly overthrown screen pass attempt. So Garoppolo deserves the criticism, and you're right. We need to see more from him. All right, next one from me, and this one is 
co-authored by Tiki Barber. Saquon Barkley, show me something. Some harsh criticism from Tiki Barber this week, saying that Saquon Barkley shouldn't be an every down back because he doesn't want to hit anybody in pass protection. Barkley said, I don't look at that as disrespect. I'm going to look at it as a challenge. Well, the real challenge is to get more than 10 yards on 15 carries. He was only the sixth guy since the merger to be held under 10 yards with 15 or more carries. This is one of the best running backs in football. And I know the offensive line isn't great, but there have been plenty of great running backs who still get their yards without great offensive lines. So Saquon Barkley needs to step up if the Giants are going to have a chance to beat the Bears, Peter. Uh, no question about it. I am going to go <clears throat> on the other team in that game. And we talked about him earlier, but you know, Mitchell Trubisky's got to show me something this week. Okay. He's coming off the, in some ways, even though he had the magic season, you know, and the bears had the magic season, there was so much on him in week one, you know, not playing well, having beaten out Nick Foles for the job. He comes into the fourth quarter, throws three touchdown passes, and basically, if they could have carried him off the field on their shoulders, they would have. But now we come into, okay, what have you done for me lately? And can we play a complete game now, please? And you're playing a team that when you look at the schedule, if you're going to make anything of your season, you play the New York Giants at home, you have to win that game. And to me... I think when you look at Mitchell Trubisky, he's got to put a complete game together against the New York Giants and win that game. This is a game that if the Bears are going to make anything of their season, they've got to have, and I've got to see it for four quarters, not just one out of Mitchell Trubisky. Hey, same concept in Tampa Bay. If the Buccaneers are going to make out of their season what we expect them to make out of their season, they've got to beat the Panthers, and Tom Brady has got to show us something. Otherwise, he's going to get called out again by his head coach. But this is a game that's set up for Tom Brady to perform better than he did week one. Yes, they got the short straw right out of the gates. Toughest game on the schedule, as you said earlier in the show, Peter. Going to New Orleans to play the Saints. That's just how it works sometimes. Now you got to take a game that you should win and go out and take care of business. And Tom Brady has to play like the Tom Brady that we thought he was going to be and that we still think he can be, even though he's 43 years old. If he doesn't do it this week, I don't know when he's going to do it. So, uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate 180 from the toughest game on the schedule to arguably the easiest game on the schedule, he's got to take care of business on Sunday, or it really is panic time for the Buccaneers. Yeah, I totally agree, Mike, and I think he will. I think he's going to play well. Um, and I think just as Tom Brady is learning his receivers, I think now Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich can go into the laboratory, you know, Monday all day, looking at their game plan, looking at what they did well in New Orleans and what they didn't do well, and they can figure out, okay. I mean, one of the things that Carson Palmer always told me about uh, about Bruce Arians. He said, I've never had a coach in my career who knows what I can do in this particular week against this off against this defense better than Bruce Arians. You know, he's a master of creating a plan every week based on how you can attack that defense. So I think that's the way they're going to handle it. But I agree, Mike. This is a game where all eyes are going to be on Tom Brady. I'm going to make a second. I'm going to make my third pick, and it's going to be a little bit of an upset special. 
but I'm going to choose Enkeel Harry of the New England Patriots because we all know right now that, look, whether the Patriots win this division or not, the only way that they're going to be a threat to do anything in the playoffs this year is if they get some alternatives in the passing game that they currently do not have. Harry had a shaky game the other day. Cam Newton came out, was his biggest cheerleader this week in his press conference. All things are there. All the support is there for Enkeel Harry to become a big player in the New England defense or in the New England offense. And to me, this is the week at Seattle when you don't want to rely on Cam Newton running it 15 times a game. You need to have a guy come through in the passing game whose name isn't Julian Edelman. Yeah, I agree with you completely. They need that because at some point the run's not going to be there and the receivers need to step up. All right, somebody who needs to step up, and this one's easy for me because he said so himself. He can't be upset about this. It's Vikings defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. He wanted out of Jacksonville. He got out of Jacksonville. He took less money to go to a place he wanted to go, and that's where he is. And he said yesterday, I've still got a bad taste in my mouth from week one. I want to make it right this weekend. Right now, this defensive line and this defense needs a spark, and I need to go make this spark this weekend. He's got six and a half career sacks in eight games against the Colts. He knows that team well. This is the time for Ngakwe to make the Vikings look smart for giving up a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick that could become a third-round pick in 2022 and $12 million for a guy who no longer was going to play for the Jaguars. Well, he's already got something in common in Minnesota with what he had in Jaguar in, in Jacksonville. They lost. And uh, they're going to lose again if they don't get some semblance of a pass rush this weekend, Peter. And the other part of this is, Mike, you know, Yannick Ngakwe came in to be a bookend, okay, in which everybody wants to have somebody on the other side that teams are going to pay attention to. And last year, he had the developing Josh Allen uh, on the other side, and he had Calais Campbell on the other side. So... You know, now you're looking at Yannick Ngakwe and where is the other huge pass rusher with Daniil Hunter out? There isn't one. So there's going to be more focus on him. He's probably going to have to fight through more attention, more chip blocks than he would normally. And this is a game where if he is a great player, this is where great players have to come in and really lead their team. But I, I, I think Ngakwe is a great pick. Yeah, and we'll see what the Vikings can do. They have to avoid falling to 0-2. On Sunday night, though, that's the game of the week. Two teams at 1-0, the Seahawks and the Patriots. Peter, that's the one I'm looking forward to. I mean, all is right in the world when that Sunday night game is the one that stands out as the game that you must see. And to have Cam Newton and Russell Wilson getting together, I, I it, it's a shame it's happening so early in the season, but I'm not complaining. I'll take it for week two. I'll take it whenever I can get it, Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. And Mike, you know, I hope, I really hope that the environment is good enough and I hope that it's not a smoky atmosphere that is really tough to play in. Yeah, it was an issue earlier this week. The Mariners had to cancel a game. They expect the the uh, smoke to be improved uh, for the weekend. So we'll see. And we'll see everybody on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.